When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We built the systems on offense and defense to do a little more conceptual, all-purpose stuff and be in sound things more often than perfect things, and uh, did that intentionally. And as a result, you know, we might only be at the office, you know, maybe six hours less a day than you, than somebody else. But boy, I bet you, I'll challenge anybody that we were getting the same amount or more work done, and the quality of our work and morale was higher. And I think that was reflected by our players having fun at practice and in games and our coaching staff and it was a very positive environment to be around and it was just doing it not necessarily different that wasn't the goal obviously but like doing it in a way that was the right fit and in the best interest of what we were trying to get accomplished today's episode from our archives is with matt Drinkall, currently the co-offensive coordinator and offensive line coach at army he was the former head coach at kansas wesleyan university Coach Drinkle was hired as the head coach at Kansas Wesleyan in 2014 to rebuild all aspects of the program. When he was hired, he was the second youngest head coach in college football at the time. In just his second season, the Coyotes went 10-1. Over the last four seasons of his tenure, Kansas Wesleyan won 40 games, which was the best four-year run in school history. Coach Drinkle left the program as the 2018 Coach of the Year while holding the fourth highest win total for the university. In his final season as head coach, the 2018 Coyotes posted the best season in school and conference history. Kansas Wesleyan won its first conference championships in 2002 after posting a 10-0 overall record to advance to the semifinals of the national playoffs, finishing the season at a 13-1 record while shattering school, conference, and NAIA records in the process. In this episode, he shares how he built the culture at Kansas Wesleyan beginning with a focus on the experience for his staff. He took a unique, less-is-more approach, paying attention to the time spent in the office and the efficiency in which all things in the program operated. From the way he set up their schemes to game planning to recruiting, Coach Drinkall and his staff were able to find the efficiency within their workflow and spend less time in the office while having a high performance level on the field. Coach Drinkall shares his thought process in developing this system. There are definitely takeaways and ideas to reflect on as we all continue to move forward in the ever-changing landscape of coaching our game. What you see on tape is a direct reflection of what you teach and how you teach. Video is important, but if you don't teach well, you're not going to like what you see on your video. First Down Playbook has been helping coaches teach better for 13 years. It allows you to present installs, playbooks, and practice cards in half the time with NFL quality. Coaching tools like video pairing, a player app, practice schedules, and wristband sheets have made First Down Playbook a program management system with everything in one place. 
If you're in a position of leadership with your football program, receive a free one-week look at First Down Playbook. Call them at 512-814-6158 or visit them on their website or social media. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code COACH24 to receive a $100 discount off the normal $700 First Down Playbook team membership price. Links and the phone number are in the show notes. Welcome to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. I'm joined today by now the offensive assistant at Army, used to be the head football coach at Kansas Wesleyan, and a guest on this show before, Matt Drankel. Matt, it's great to catch up with you. Keith, thank you so much for having me, man. Officially, congratulations on the new job at Army. I'm sure uh presents some changes, but in talking to you, I think you're really excited about the opportunity as well. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a no brainer, you know, having a chance to. I, I knew kind of strategically my plan was going to be to move up in level, but down in title. And I was really fortunate that uh, two years ago, when I spoke at the AFCA convention, it was a really big room with a couple hundred people in it. And one of the guys that was in there watching, who hung out afterwards to visit with me, was Coach Munkin. I'd never met him before. He just happened to come into the presentation. And we went to his hotel later that night in the lobby and talked a little football and then had a chance to get out and visit West Point last spring for the first time in in my career and then uh, stayed in touch during the year. And was able to join up with these guys here to an already rolling great situation. Just, you know, for the people who don't know, just West Point is just a, you know, this isn't necessarily like a sales pitch. I mean, it's just, it's an incredible place with like the best people. I mean, I've never seen anything like this before as far as like the discipline and the quality of the human beings just everywhere. And that there's a standard for everything that they do not lower. And it all starts with Coach Monk and the culture he's built here. And we were talking a little bit before we got going, but that guy's the real deal, man. I mean, it's just that what you see is what you get, and he's got a plan for everything. And like I said, he just he clearly defines every facet of the entire program. So being in a place like this where you're just around really good people, whether that's academic people or generals or the coaches on staff, you're learning so much every day about everything. So that, that to me, has been the most fun. Plus, I don't get any emails or text messages anymore from administration. So not being a head coach, I don't miss that very much at all. <laughs> right. Well, that, that is part of that. Being the head coach, you got to deal with that side of it as well. Uh, my main purpose of having you on really is to go back to some of the things you were doing at Kansas Wesleyan in terms of what you did in, in your work week and how your coaching staff worked together. And, you know, I think I, I said it on Twitter back when I saw you guys at – AFCA in San Antonio and really that was just a, a small glimpse of it I followed you all year long you know we're friends on Facebook so to see all the different things you guys were doing I said in my tweet something like this staff has the most fun in America like literally I I think you guys did it was incredible just to see the camaraderie to see you guys out there having fun and on top of it you were having a lot of success but you know there's a, and I think this appeared in some of your presentation at AFCA that ended up on Football Scoop, but um, there's a lot of outside-the-box thinking in the way you've put things together and the way you structured things for your staff. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm trying to figure out a place to start, um, I guess. It's extremely unique, and it was a cognitive choice that I made and a, and a big part of my strategic attack to get to get us to the point where we wanted to be. So 
I guess if you want to start with this is that, you know, I think one of the words that gets thrown out all the time in football right now is culture. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of people define what that is or how you get there. So to me is I want everyone in my program when I was a head coach, I want everyone to have a great experience. Okay. You can't win all your games. Okay. That, that if, if you only define success as wins and losses, I think that's terrible. I think it's a really bad plan. Okay. And I, I'll use baseball. You could have a pitcher throw like a 21 strikeout game and give up one to earn run and lose. Mm-hmm. And you could have another pitcher, you know, give up nine runs and get pulled in the you know fourth, fifth inning and then get the win. So to me, if you define it only as winning and losing, you're in for a long ride because there's a lot of variables that go into that, you know, more than ever. So I want everyone to have a great experience. Well, if they're going to have a great experience, that's defined by the culture. The culture is defined by behaviors. Okay. I just, so it feeds that way. And however your people behave, coaches, players, support staff, that is the culture you're going to have is based on behavior. Whatever those cultures, whatever that culture is, is your, defines your experience. So I think if you are really aware of that, that gives you a big advantage or leg up as far as planning goes. So one of the other things I did was when you coach at smaller levels, and it's probably a lot like this everywhere, you can't pay your staff as much as you want them to. Everybody wants to be compensated for good work. And I think you have to use the term compensation as opposed to pay. Okay. So when it's, when you're at a smaller school, those slots are just budgeted in as, you know, into the, an Excel workbook in the budget in the business office somewhere, you know, I could hire, try to hire urban Meyer as an assistant at Kansas Wesleyan. That dude's going to make 40 grand if he's my number two guy, you know, like that's it. I mean, that's, that's what he's going to get paid. If you look at it, then what are other ways I can compensate my staff to make sure that I have quality people? And I saw it as a head coach as two ways, work environment and time. I can compensate them that way. That is something I can control to make them have feel valued so I can retain good coaches that are happy to be there. And I think that's a big deal. So as a result of that, you know, those guys will trust you more. They'll be more happy. They'll be more motivated. And I want to have a great, incredible working environment because I believe then if you go into that behavior thing I was talking about, if my coaches are super happy all the time at work and they're energetic and enthusiastic and when they go out to the bar on a weekend or they take their wives out to lunch or dinner and somebody talks to them, every conversation they're having is positive. It's genuine. It's sincere. When they talk to players, when they talk to somebody in the academic department or the athletic training staff. It's all positive. It's genuine. It's upbeat. I think that it carries a lot of weight because then that bleeds in everywhere to help pull the alignment in the same direction. So I think a lot of places that struggle, and don't get me wrong, it was not, I mean, it was every day it was a struggle at Kansas again, in the sense of total institutional alignment, you know, making sure everybody's on the exact same page and, at the same time, you know, like coaches and the administration probably will never all the way be on the same page because they're going to want you to recruit, you know, everybody as a 30 ACT and 4.0 student and try to get them to pay more money than they should. And you want the best players that are the best fit and paying nothing. 
Right. <laughs> so there's there's a disconnect there. So I think, but but it, those little things that can like leak into the program, I see them like the like the grout on a brick wall. You have all the bricks and all the pieces, but that's what it, those are worthless unless there's something holding it all together. You know, an underlying thing that gets no credit. You know, I heard Mike Leach say a long time ago, like, what's the most important part of a car? And he lets everybody name it. And he says lug nuts. Because the whole thing can't go without lug nuts. So, like, every little thing matters was, I guess, the point of his, his talk. So, as far as the work environment and, and time, that was my philosophy, I guess, behind it, was that was going to bleed into every part of the program. Now, I said this when I spoke at the AFCA convention, and everybody just went dead silent. Because they either thought I was lazy or an idiot or a liar, so <laughs> and that I, I felt like the whole room just immediately like the air got pulled out of it during the season. We did not go into the office one single time before 10 a.m. We did not stay one single time past 6 p.m. I guess 6:30. Practice got over and we got it back in 6:30. So my philosophy behind that was I had two, my I had two full-time guys. Some of it was by design and some of it was out of necessity. Was I, really, I had really good staff there, really, really good staff. My two full-time guys had brand-new babies, so both under one year old or right at it. So I wanted to do everything I could so that those guys were getting their wives are supportive of what's going on and, and they can spend time with their kids. And I mean, when you're, you're not coaching and making $7 million a year, you know what I mean? Right. So to me, that's a whole different dynamic as far as the support I can provide their home life. So we came in at 10 o'clock every day and everybody was well rested. Everybody was enthusiastic. Everyone was excited and it was awesome. We were genuinely excited to be there every single second of every single day. We were happy to see the kids. You know, no one was like not getting any sleep or, you know, getting yelled at at home because they're gone all the time and, or, or they're missing certain things and they feel like they're making compromises in their lives. And I always told myself I wanted to become a head coach. And when I became a head coach, I was going to do it my way. And if I failed, I at least went down fighting my kind of fight. I don't, you know, obviously you adjusted everywhere you go, but that was a humongous deal to me. So I always thought about it like, how are you going to get more work done? You know, it's like if you go into a gym and you work out, if you're benching 300 pounds for five reps, is that more or less work than somebody who's benching 150 pounds for twice the reps? It's the same kind of work. It's just you go about it different ways. So, you know, I've heard stories of people that, you know, they're not allowed to leave until the head coach leaves and they're staying there till midnight every night. Like, like. I don't need to do that. Like I built the systems, you know, we built the systems on offense and defense to do a little more conceptual, all purpose stuff and be in sound things more often than perfect things. And uh, did that intentionally. And as a result, you know, we might only be at the office, you know, maybe six hours less a day than you, than somebody else. But boy, I bet you I'll challenge anybody that we were getting the same amount or more work done and the quality of our work and morale was higher. And I think that was reflected by our players having fun at practice and in games and and our coaching staff. And it was a very positive environment to be around. And it was just doing it not necessarily different. That wasn't the goal, obviously, but like doing it in a way that was the right fit and in the best interest of what we were trying to get accomplished. 
As coaches, we know that some of the biggest hurdles to our team's success can come from off the field. Your team needs support to tackle the endless list of expenses, uniforms, training equipment, travel, and more. But raising that money can feel like a full-time job. Thankfully, there's Vertical Raise. Vertical Raise is the premier online fundraising platform using innovative technology to create the easiest and most efficient system available. Raise more money in less time with a local fundraising coach who works with your team every step of the way to customize the ideal fundraiser. With options for online donations, digital discount cards, premium product sales, and even spirit shops, Vertical Raise has top-of-the-line solutions for every fundraising style. To find out more, visit verticalraise.com and we'll get you connected with an exclusive offer on your first fundraiser. I've always been interested in the use of technology to make our jobs more effective, so I'm excited to continue sharing modern football technology with you here on the podcast. This innovative system leverages tendencies to improve self-scouting, game planning, and in-game decision-making at the speed of the game. Modern football stands out because it's a battle-tested platform used by teams at all levels, like four-time national champion Bishop Gorman, the five-time California state champion Folsom Bulldogs, six-time Texas state champion Lake Travis, Cal football, and the CFL's Grey Cup champions, the Montreal Alouettes. So book a demo today to see why these teams trust modern football technology. Visit www dot team m-o-f-o dot com slash demo and mention coach and coordinator podcast or use the coupon code cc10 to receive 10 percent off your first year and i think that's refreshing to hear that probably for a lot of coaches i know we mirror what we see happening at the higher levels and i you know i worked in uh, small school small college football before and i mean we were in that office and working like we were those guys making six and seven figures, right? Time and work environment are very important. I always thought our, our work environment was decent, but our time was awful. And so, I mean, let's let's break it down. Let's talk about a day, right? And let's just say it's those three full-time employees and yourself. Um, I mean, if, if there's six less hours a day you're working than everybody else, you're going to multiply that by three. That's 18 hours. We're where are you making up the difference? How are you doing that? I know part of it probably comes from being fresh and being able to make decisions because you're rested. You know, I, there's times I think, you know, you're in there at three in the morning and you're like, God, I don't know, you know, what should we do? And, you know, maybe you're not making the best decisions. So how, how do you, I guess, find that efficiency? And in terms of making sure the work is done, how, how are you making sure all the work is done? Are there things you discarded maybe that, you know, in past jobs you were doing before? Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's just different, different ways, I guess, that we, we saw things. So the number one thing is we don't have like waste time. You know, there's no, like, we don't have a couple hour chunks where we're just sitting around doing nothing, waiting on, you know, like the staff sitting there because I'm in a meeting or doing something else and they just, we can't get anything done. There is very, very, if any, downtime, I guess, um, which is really good because the day goes fast. But the biggest piece, you know, so we'd come in at 10. So my staff was myself and two other full-times and three GAs. So we had a total of six people in the office all day, every day. So what I did as a head coach was they each had an on-the-field job that they oversaw, and that was their position group, you know, what they were going to be coaching on that side of the ball. 
and then an off the field job and responsibility. So my defense coordinator was also the strength and conditioning coach. Our full-time other guy was on defense as well, and he was operations and administration stuff. The GAs handled, one was a recruiting coordinator, one was a video coordinator, one was like academics and facilities. So we would start every day at 10 o'clock with a staff meeting, and I tried to get that thing over and done in less than 10 minutes. And it was basically each of those guys, we'd sit down and they would debrief the group on their area that they oversaw. So, hey, this is what's, we got study hall tonight at seven o'clock. Uh, you know, I've got the attendance. Okay, lifting is today after, uh, you know, today during the day or whatever, whatever time. Hey, we got three recruits coming by campus for practice today. And get the whole thing in and out and try to be done in 10 minutes and get to work. And then from there, like I said, just during the season, we had a very different approach. Uh, I talked about this a little bit once before, but we'd play on Saturday and then we would do Sundays. We'd come in at 10 to noon. So we were in 10 to noon on Sunday. And in that time, we'd review maybe 15, 20 snaps from the game, preview the opponent and lift. And they were, I tried to get the kids out of there by 12 o'clock so they could go watch pro football the rest of the day. Coaches, we probably left on Sundays, I want to say maybe five o'clock, four or five o'clock, right around, right in that area where we kind of get an idea on the opponent, make sure we're not banged up, any major injuries, things like that, just kind of a review and proceed. And then, so they had basically after at noon o'clock on Sunday, the kids were completely off the rest of the day. Then they had Monday completely off. Can't do anything. That was their full blown mandated day off. And then Tuesday, we'd go out, no meetings, go out on the field for about 35 minutes, 25 minutes of it was the kicking game review. You know, just the, Hey, here's the special team depth for this week. You know, you do all the odds and ends onside kick, recover, you know, hands team kick our turn after safety, all the goofy stuff. And then we do 10 minutes of opponent preview. Okay. So the kids had Sunday, Monday, Tuesday to do two things. One recover, physically recover as much as they possibly can. Okay, I want all the guys that are going to be playing in the next Saturday's game to be at all of the practices that they get as many of the reps as they can. Right. So they get a full half week, basically, to recover. And then since they're not doing anything, there's no load on them physically, they can load up mentally and get a lot of film watched and cut-ups watched. We very rarely, and when I say very rarely, I can't speak for the defensive side, I never watch full games anymore. Mm-hmm. I'll watch only efficiency cutoffs. See, I can say all this stuff now because I'm not in charge of anything. And I, <laughs> <laughs> this is how Army does it. So I can share some of the insights. So this is easy. But, uh, you know, we would just make cutoffs and efficiency cutoffs. And I would watch runs of four or more, passes of eight or more, and goal line red zone. And that's how I'd game plan. So I'd watch the runs of four or more, and I'd watch them the one time through of all the gap runs together, all the zone runs together. I'd watch all the three by ones together, all the two by twos together. And I have a pretty good plan. This is how they're going to line up. And then you got a pretty good plan of this is what they're really good at stopping, or this is what they're not very good at defending. And we would only break down three games and it, unless it was a non-common opponent, you know, like somebody was under center running triple all the time or something like that. We wouldn't even break that one down. So we were able to get those cutups out to the kids and they'd be able to watch that. And they have a pretty good idea that, Hey, like we're going to carry, like week to week, this is the thing I think is the best. We don't add anything on offense or defense. We didn't we didn't add anything ever. It was just about figuring out the best ways to get into the stuff that we run. So we're gonna we're gonna run like our power play. We're gonna run our counter tray. 
We're going to run our inside zone play. We're going to run power read. We're going to run those every single week. I don't care who we're playing. It was about figuring out the best ways for our personnel or formations to find three or four of those calls each game and go from there. So I think that there's the, the way, you know, we mentally approached it is a big deal. So that kind of takes you through the week. We go full pads on Wednesday, shells on Thursday, and we would go shells on Friday for about an hour at full game speed. So fast Fridays took that from Coach Frost and out of Nebraska. Really, really liked that. Thought that did a way better job of preparing us. So the whole week was basically a crescendo that was building up to the game as opposed to, you know, a roller coaster of intensity and, and durations and things like that. And then get ready to go. You know, a couple other things. I read a really good book, did different for the first time this year. I read a great book called The Starbucks Experience which is basically the story of why Starbucks went from like one corner coffee shop in Seattle to on every single corner in every town in America was, it was basically the whole gist of it's giving away ownership. If you can get investment to the people that are participating in it, you'll get better buy-in. So I never did anything with the team as far as like, I would, after practice, I have about a 30 second couple things of announcements. That's it. Before practice, I assigned the kid, each of the, like a certain kid, each practice to do the, you know, address the team and things like that. And we did that on game day. You know, I'd go out for, you know, before pregame started at whatever, 65 minutes on the clock, I'd peek my head in the, uh, in the locker room, tell everybody I loved them, wish them good luck and to have fun. And that was it. Those guys would go through pregame, come back in. There was a kid assigned to address the team and they would be out before the game started, you know, at, with 10 minutes to go, go out there, do the anthem, play. And I think that that was awesome. Those guys know way better about what's going on. I mean, you know, I'm getting older. I understand young people less and less every day, every second of every day. I understand old old people less and less. I just, I basically am losing it. So <laughs> I figure what's the point? Let those guys who know better do better. So, and that was really great for us because that is not a strength of mine, uh, getting those guys, you know, amped up and fired up or whatever. All those things I think factored in and were really good. So we, you know, we meet, go out, practice, practice over, everybody go home. That's it. Start up, start up the next day. And it's actually pretty uh, crazy. Like Coach Munkin, that's his big thing here that everybody loves working for him is he gives you a lot of time off. Practice gets over, you're gone. You know, we start up at 830, you're gone. You know, get ready, get into work, and get going. So he does a great job of managing time aspects of the coaches here as well. So that was just, I, I think that's just so absolutely critically important. And I think the one analogy I will make that I think is really important, and I'll try to explain this the best I can, because I believe this when it comes to organizational structure or like running your scheme on whatever side of the ball you're doing. Think about a Madden game right now, okay? Like if you go play, go buy the new Madden game. It can do 9,000 things, right? It can It can do everything. You can create a stadium, create a player. You can do all kinds of controls. They got a passing vision window. There's like two joysticks on the controller. It can do 17,000 things. How many people can pick up Madden today and in 10 minutes be good at it and be having fun and having a great experience with it? Very few. I mean, I don't, I don't know anybody now. I mean, it takes a ton of work and a ton of reps and does that make it a better game than when it came out on Sega and it had three <laughs> buttons? Because everybody could pick up, like Madden became popular because it was simple and inclusive on the front end. It had three buttons. 
you could have never played the game before. You could pick it up. You'd be good at it in 10 minutes and you're having a great experience. So to me is like, just cause there can always be more doesn't mean that's always better or what you're looking for. Now, at the same time, I, I realize obviously you can't be a caveman and someone's going to listen to this, this guy's an idiot is what he's talking about. And that's probably true. <laughs> but <laughs> I just, I think about that, that just cause you can always do more doesn't mean it's better. I, I like my wife gets, she goes nuts and goes crazy at me because I hate going to like fancy places to eat. Why is steak better? Because it has 19,000 garnishes or ways you can cook it. I mean, go to Outback, get me medium and like, let's go. I don't need any sauce and put ketchup on it. I don't care. Like <laughs> it's the same thing. You're not going to remember it in five minutes anyway. Who cares? I think simple was very, very good. And a lot of people lose sight of that. And I think if you can figure out a way with something, anything, in life and work, whatever, to make something that is complicated, simple, you are on to something. That is a good deal. And I think I was just talking to the temple coaches about this. I think the next big area that's going to happen is recruiting. Somebody's going to figure something out in recruiting that is going to change the complete and total dynamic of college football recruiting. And it's going to happen in the next, like, I think three to five years, because right now everyone, like there's so many people that are doing it the same. You know what I mean? Like the, the rules, the, the days you can be on the road, how you're impacting social media with reach. And, and the, the big dynamic that's changing is a kid might be playing at Stanford one day. And I just saw today, like right before we started this interview, like the PAC 12 got rid of the one year residency rule. So unless I'm like crazy, I think that means a kid could leave Stanford and go play in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Well, like that's going to be a big deal. <laughs> like that's that's a that's an important piece of the puzzle for you know the the landscape is shifting. Somebody to figure something out. So I think like, uh, the simplicity and easiness of it is just it's always a good thing. Matt, you seem to at least have a thought process that leads you to these things. What are I guess those starting point questions you ask yourself to try to figure things out, whether that's what you're doing on offense, how you're going to run your program, or like down the line, maybe it's recruiting. But what are some of those questions you start with in order to, I guess, get you going in a direction in this process to to evaluate all the different things you do? I know it sounds kind of lame or whatever, but I try to – I have, I have two dry erase boards in my, in my office when I was a head coach, and I kept I three columns. I would write like ideas or notes to myself on them. The three columns were football, recruiting, administration, and I would always constantly be assessing those. Where in the like each place is unique. Every school, even in the same divisions, is unique. You're going to have internal strengths and internal weaknesses and to be able to take advantage of those or avoid those things that are really critical to everybody's success. That's why I think if you, you know, you look at what coach Munkin has done here, it is like jaw droppingly impressive. Like I, I, I had a heart attack because there can be a kid here who we evaluate. We love him. He's a great football player. One of the best football players in the country. He's a 4.0 student. He's got a 32 on the ACT and he wants to come here. Well, if he has a shellfish allergy, he can't go to school here. So, like, there's, like, limitations like that that can just pop up. And you don't hear, like me, you know, you think, oh, you hear that, you want to complain about it. There is not the culture here. There's not one piece of anybody using anything as an excuse to not 
perform and do your best and do well. And I think that so fitting those areas to each piece is really, really critical. So I think from a football side, the number one thing you need to assess is what do I need to do here to win? One of the best ways I think we evaluated personnel. So here's how I did recruiting when I was at Kansas Wesleyan. I, as the head coach, served two roles in recruiting. I would do a roster analysis and projection, and then I would, uh, you know, make a couple calls or whatever, and, you know, contacts toward later on in the process to help see what recruit. But what I did in the recruiting process was, okay, here's our roster. I always plan for about 7 to 9% of attrition, unknown variables, whatever. A kid doesn't make it in school. Kid's got to, you know, fell in love with a girl over the summer. He's not coming back, whatever. I plan for that. You know, you do a roster assessment and you give out, you know, like, I'm going to use this term, even though it's probably not the right word, but like a quota to each of the coaches. Like, hey, these are your number expectations. I need you to sign, like, we need to sign this many elite guys at this position. We need to sign depth guys at these positions. Each of you, here's what you got to get done and go. And I was, by this date, we need to have these amount of guys signed. And I didn't bother them. I didn't care if they made 500 phone calls. I didn't care if they made no phone calls. They're using Twitter, uh, however they were doing it. Want to go, you know, playing on the road together somewhere. I, I think that was a big deal. But the number one barometer I used, if you take like the last three, five years in your conference or your league, who are the three best teams? Okay, would they trade their guy for our guy? Yes or no? If the answer is no, we got to get better at that spot. You know, you might, and that's that's hard to do. And that a lot, you know, as a head coach, I was able to do that easier because you're not like quite as connected to each of the guys. You know, a linebacker is going to love all of his linebackers no matter what. Right. He'll get, you know, goggles on that don't allow him to see quite as clear as he needs to because the kid might work really hard, but he might not be good enough either. So I think that's the number one thing is who you have to go through. Like the Big Ten, it's a totally different league from half to half. And, and who you have to beat and who you have to go through and who you have to build your teams to defend and attack is a totally different deal. So I think from a football standpoint, that's the number one piece. I think it's different if you coach football in New York and Southern California, the mm-hmm. geographical assets you're going to be able to have versus the weather you're going to play in the conference, the style of football. So I think being able to assess those things is really critical. Same thing in recruiting. And obviously with the, that same boat, you know, I, I mentioned on this before, like we didn't dress up when we went on the road recruiting on purpose ever because I wanted to sit down with those guys and be relatable to those kids. And, you know, I said that kind of, we, that was kind of our approach or whatever. And then you see, you know, like Scott Frost, I'll use him as an example. Like he's doing official visits and he's got on a, you know, ball cap and jeans and he, he's just a regular dude. And I think that guys, like kids buy into that and that's good. And that fits them. You know, that's a right. Nebraska, and he's a Nebraska dude, and, he, you know, won a national title there. That's a great fit for them. And I think, you know, it would be crazy to not think that he's doing that strategically. So, really, I think, like, out of all the stuff we did, I think the only thing I was actually any good at was being able to take two steps back always at any point in time and assess what we're doing and why we're doing it. I'm a big believer in that, like, offensively. I can tell you right now in my in my old power spread offense, I had two sprint out pass concepts. Now I had a lot of ways to window dress it and get there, but I had two. And the reason I had two was because every year I call that 4.8 times a game. So I'm going to, if I'm lucky, run each one of those plays twice in a game. If I'm lucky, you know, screen, I carried one screen because I called screens in games 1.8 times a game. 
I don't need 15 of them. I don't need to change those week to week. I don't need to do that because I can't justify to my assistants or the players. Why am I calling a million things when, you know, why are we carrying a million things when I'm only going to call it once, maybe twice in a game. Right now, if you're going to run power 500 times a game, like we did, (laughs) you better have a bunch of ways to disguise that and masquerade it and do things like that. So it sounds corny too, but I, I do have a one page sheet that I, I print out at the beginning of every week. It's kind of like a, an outline, not a mission statement, but just like a an offensive outline to make sure I'm staying on course. You know, you can evaluate the last week's practice, the last game. Hey, are we doing these things? Are we the most physically tough team? Did we run the ball effectively and efficiently? Were we avoiding negative plays and turnovers? And you have to be able to answer some of those. And it's hard because sometimes the answer is no. And you go, God dang, I probably didn't emphasize this right or get these drills set up to, to simulate what's going to happen in the game correct. And you have to be able to say, take a hard look in the mirror and say, I got to do a better job and get these guys prepared. It's one of those deals, you know, like that old leadership saying that when things are going bad, look in the mirror. And when things are going good, look out the window, you know, assess instead of bitching and moaning and complaining and pointing the finger, figure out what you can do better to make things right. When things are going really good, appreciate all of the people and all of the moving parts that make it so that's possible because it's way more than, you know, a handful of people. It takes everybody. Well, Matt, I really appreciate you digging into this and sharing your thought process. We saw the results this past season, as I said, not just on the scoreboard, but being able to watch you personally, the stuff you're posting, what's going on in your life, uh, the fun you guys are having. And I think there's a lot to learn from it. So I appreciate you taking the time and sharing a little bit about what's going on with Army and running the football, as well as all the things you did at Kansas Wesleyan to free up some time for your coaches and to have a positive work environment. No, I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. It's been a been a fun experience. Hopefully, I don't get fired here very soon, and <laughs> we can keep. Uh, I can contribute, do my little part to make this thing uh, keep doing what's been doing. And you are a good follow on Twitter. I know before it was a lot of recruiting. Now you kind of share some ideas. I'm seeing more and more of those uh, ideas and one idea dressed up a, a million different ways. Uh, I think you do that once or twice a week, but appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. What's, give your uh, Twitter handle to our listeners. It's just, uh, it's at Drinkle Coach. And my last name is just like drinking all back to back, D-R-I-N-K-A-L-L. And uh, yeah, it's try, we try to, there's there's some things I can share and do now that I you know or have nothing to do and to, are tied in the army that are I think uh, good for the coaching world and, and good for ideas to share and because there's not a single thing I did ever that I didn't steal from somebody else so I think the more guys that share ideas and get you to think and you might love some stuff and you might not like it and, but just getting the ball rolling and people thinking and doing stuff and I think that's good and it's so easy to get in. I guess the best part about the game of football right now is information is 10 times more accessible now than it's ever been. And I think that's awesome because there are so many smart, good coaches everywhere. I mean, at all levels from high school, to the NFL, and there's just, there's bright, brilliant people everywhere. So you can, you can pull from anybody, anytime. Absolutely. Well, again, Matt, thank you for your time and good luck to you and the Knights in 2019. Hey, thank you much. Here are our winning edge takeaways and ideas for implementation. One, focus on the experience you want to create. As Coach Drinkall points out, it's not based on wins. 
Reverse engineer what you want your players, staff, support personnel, and parents and families to walk away from the experience feeling. You can create a positive, memorable, and impactful experience as a coach. Ten years from now, what would you want a player to say about the time he spent with you? What would you want his parents to say about the impact you had on their son? To create that then, focus on the behaviors of both you and your players and coach every detail of those behaviors. Every coach can do this, even if it's within your own position group. This is the way to be a transformational coach. Two, Coach Drinkall took the approach that he would do it his way. We all have some of that ability regardless of position or title. Ultimately, you are accountable for the results. How you get it done can be uniquely you. Do things that are unique if you feel they fit you. You will learn to refine your ideas and adapt them to your situation. This may require more thought and planning, but in the long run, it's better than a copy-paste approach that lacks thinking behind it. Like Coach Drinkall, have questions that you constantly ask yourself that form the way you do things. Three, be obsessed with finding efficiency. Coach Drinkall did this in every aspect of the program. He then empowered his staff and players to work within an efficient framework. Everyone was mentally and physically fresh on game day because they did not get exhausted with unnecessary minutiae or burn their minds with insignificant details. Only the most important things were part of their thought process and workflow. I have a resource to help you be more efficient in scripting practices and looking at how you game plan. I'll share that one in the show notes. Connect with Coach Drinkall on Twitter at DrinkallCoach. Be sure to go to coachingcoordinator.com for enhanced show notes with links to related episodes, resources like Coach Drinkall's presentations on his power spread offense, which I highly recommend. In addition, we have articles and our winning edge takeaways detailed in text. Also sign up for our free weekly tip sheet, which highlights the best ideas from the previous week, trending episodes, and featured resources. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski.